What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with my co-host, Dan Favalli, and today we're going to be going over the complicated and weird and somehow still Phoenix Suns, including playoff scenarios in the Western Conference. Um, first, a shout out to NFL Sunday Ticket, to Deal Dash, and to BetOnline.ag, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Um, the bubble in the Western Conference has been so weird. It's uh, It's... I don't think any of us expected the Suns to still be in contention with the New Orleans Pelicans eliminated from the playoff conversation, but that's where we are. And I assume you've had as much fun as I have watching this unfold, right, Dan? Yeah, it's been absolute chaos, more chaos than I would have expected. Uh, you always would have banked on the Kings being one of the first teams gone. That just makes total sense. And, you know, they're... Their team, that's an interesting team to look at for the future because De'Aaron Fox said something very disturbing, but maybe we could get to that in, or what I found very disturbing afterwards, but maybe we can get to that in a little bit. The Pelicans being eliminated, definitely disappointing because I probably picked them to get into the play-in leading into all this, but they played some pretty apathetic-looking basketball throughout, just these really bad openings, and then you saw all these struggles from Lonzo Ball. Zion Williamson didn't play his best basketball, had a pretty good game uh, in that loss to the Spurs, uh, Brandon Ingram kind of disappeared after, you know, one great half against the Jazz. There was a lot of weird stuff, even Drew Holiday. And when their season was on the line, just some of their best players didn't seem like they were at their very best. And that team has some questions to ask moving forward. I The relitigations of their future on the timeline, I found a little bit confounding because they still seem to be in a great situation. Uh, but those are two teams we could talk about after we get to the teams that are still in the playoffs because... It's exciting. There are just so many different scenarios, so many different balls in the air right now. Memphis is just beaten up, and I don't want to dump all over them, but they're the team I want to see least now in the the eight spot. You know whether they have to go through a plan or lose it completely because just without Jaron Jackson Jr., that injury just comes as a major bummer. I want to see a team that might put up like some semblance of a fight against the Lakers. I don't think that's the Spurs or the Suns, but the Spurs just getting in there would be kind of objectively hysterical after you know they lost the Marcus Aldridge they were just written off they were in full developmental mode when they entered the bubble and then just have the Suns in there like that would be a whoa really out of nowhere like this team is supposed to be incredibly incompetent and then people will finally understand actually how good Devin Booker is Portland seems like it'll be the best matchup but there are just so many different scenarios in the air right now and we're recording this basically as Phoenix plays against uh, as everyone's calling them the zombie thunder since they're sitting everybody I don't necessarily literally know. everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I, they might as well just forfeit is what it seems. like. I don't think they're fielding a full team, right? Like they're just going to play five on four the whole game. That's basically what they're going to do. And maybe they're they're really trying to help Phoenix, you know, get into the playoffs or at least ensure that there's maximum chaos down down the stretch. So I think the place to start would be which team do you think is going to how do you think this ends? Is Memphis still going to have the eight seed? Are we going to have a play in with, with Memphis? I kind of don't think so. Wow. Which seems so weird to say because they entered the bubble like just scorching hot. It seemed like all the pieces were coalescing around John Morant. Jaron Jackson Jr. was playing better basketball. They were getting a lot of bench contributions. Everything seemed to be working. But they've just been in this absolute freefall. And even though they hold the eighth spot, 
they only have two games left. They have the Boston Celtics on Tuesday and the Milwaukee Bucks on Thursday. Granted, neither of those teams really has much to play for since we're sort of in this weird, like almost like NFL Week 17 territory where you have these varying degrees of motivation in play. But those are both really good teams with depth. And even if they're resting Giannis, even if they're resting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I'm not sure that Memphis is going to win either of those games. And if they drop both of them, all of a sudden we're looking at a scenario where Portland, San Antonio, and Phoenix are kind of all in play. Um, I, I want to eliminate San Antonio off the bat, which is probably going to come back to bite me because it's the San Antonio Spurs and they're like legally required to be in the playoffs each year. It's been 22 straight seasons. As you said, we all wrote them off after LaMarcus Aldridge underwent that shoulder surgery and was ruled out for the rest of the season. But here they are because Derek White has been absolutely fantastic because DeMar DeRozan is still scoring in binges because Keldon Johnson is suddenly making contributions. Everything's kind of working as you might expect from a Greg Popovich coach team, but they do still have the Houston Rockets on Tuesday and the Utah Jazz on Thursday. And I I, kind of think that the, the Jazz are just desperate to right the ship and to figure something out that's going to work for them as we move into the playoffs, which they're already guaranteed to be a part of. I don't think San Antonio is going to win both of those games. They're one game back of Memphis. They're half a game back of Portland. And without two wins, as hot as Phoenix and Portland both are, I don't think that's going to be good enough. I think what's tough for the Spurs, too, is we don't know what's going to happen with Derek White's left knee. He left that game against the Pelicans with a left knee contusion. Um, I'm not I'm not entirely ready to write them off just because they've been getting contributions from all over, like Eubanks just coming in and giving them really big minutes, playing great defense in that Pelicans game. I like that they've been more willing to go super small where they're just going to, you know, they've had Rudy Gay at center for pretty long stretches and they've um, just spread the floor basically around DeMar DeRozan having four shooters around him. That does displace DeJounte um, Murray, but the fact that they've been so open-minded to go that route has been encouraging. This is the scenario though, one of the scenarios for the Spurs to get in, which is why I think I'd probably agree with you, particularly because you're looking at their upcoming opponents as well. San Antonio needs Phoenix and Portland to lose at least once while they win their final two games, which, as you mentioned, are against Houston and Utah. And failing that, the Spurs can also make the play-in if they win twice, Memphis loses twice, and then one of Phoenix or Portland loses once. And this is per the, the Athletic. So there's a lot of things that need to happen for them to get in there, but it just it contributes to the chaos because there's also still a path for them to get the eight seed, which is how close everyone is. The thing I'll push back though against is with Memphis. I actually think they're going to end up, I don't know if they make the playoffs, you know, maybe they lose during a play in, but I don't think they're going to lose both of those games because uh, you won. I think you might be overcrediting Boston's depth. Like if they just decided to, you know, sit three guys in that game, they really drop off after the top five or six, the top six players on their team. What do you have against Robert Williams? Exactly. Um, that's it's Robert Williams is shown flashes, but like, who are you using to, they've, they've struggled when Kemba Walker is off the floor to generate offense at all this year. They have about a league average offense during those stretches. If you, if you sit him, cause you're just worried about his knee and you sit Tatum in the same game, I just don't know who's going to generate your offense. Maybe they don't do that. Um, the Bucks, as you said, are super deep. That would be a game that I would write in as a loss for Memphis. But it seems like there's a possibility that they would beat Boston should the Celtics just sit everyone. It does seem like we're going to get a lot of clarity on Tuesday when all these games take place. But just as a quick reminder, the way that the format works for these playoffs, because I think we should explicitly lay that out, is that if the 8th and the ninth seed in the Western Conference are within four games of each other, which at this point is a guarantee, that's going to trigger a, a play-in s- sort of like pseudo-series for the 8th and final seed. If the 8th seed wins either of the games they're in, the ninth seed would have to win both of them to eliminate the 8th seed and make the playoffs. So that's kind of what we're talking about here, just figuring out who's going to be an 8th and who's going to be a ninth, which is all still up in the air. It does feel like at least one of those spots is going to belong to the Portland Trailblazers. They feel like fate really does. they're going to be in the play-in tournament at some point. And look, Gary Trent Jr. is shooting 1 trillion percent from three. Been absolutely amazing for them. Melo has played well offensively. Uh, as people pointed out, they've gone to great lengths to hide him uh, defensively. He spent time on Al Horford during the, the Sixers game. 
that they that they just won. And what really comes back to bite them is that loss to the Clippers. I don't even think the Clippers had everyone available for that game. They did not. Well, they never have everyone available, so that just covered my ass there. I don't think they had. Yeah, because Patrick Beverly was was jawing at Damian Lillard from the sideline in his street clothes. Right. It was a very like. Uh, I think I said this on Twitter. It was very much like, you know, when you see a defensive back, I'm going to keep making NFL analogies in this episode, apparently. It's like when a defensive back in the NFL gets burned, the receiver drops the pass and the defensive back celebrates. Like, that's kind of what it felt like when Damian Lillard missed those two free throws at the end of the game, which never happens, and then missed the game winner. And Beverly's pointing to his wrist like, oh, it's game time. Like, yeah, like, good job shutting him down, Bev. Yeah, they, but they just the way that they're playing. And Damian Lillard just, oh, my God. Talk about limitless range on his off the dribble three. We and, knew he was going to respond like this, right? To right. that that letdown at the end. The, the whole thing too is the, that people were just dragging him, saying his legacy is built on two shots. I saw afterwards. That is just like so factually incorrect. Damian Lillard has been so good, just on an individual scale relative to any other superstar in the league ever since that sweep at the hands of the New Orleans Pelicans. Was that 2018 or was that 2017? Whatever. I think it was 2017. I've lost all track of time during 2020. You could say any year and I, I would believe you at this point. Wait, it's still 2020. That's unfortunate. It was 1976. Right? <laughs> He's been ever since then, then for the past, you know, decade and a half, whatever it's been, Damian Lillard's just been this entrenched top 10 player to me. He is just so, so good. And, the way he's just able to uplift the Blazers, we even saw it this season. They were a playoff caliber team when he was on the court this year, and that means more than it would in most seasons because they were missing Nurkic, they didn't have Collins, they didn't have Rodney Hood. They brought Mello in out of empty gyms, and even though Mello was pretty good for them offensively, that's you know they they plucked Mello out of an empty gym. That's how desperate they were. They don't have Trevor Ariza right now, so the fact that they're here is super impressive a testament to how he's playing but they're getting great contributions around him they don't have a have a son white side right now but i think we're even starting to see yusuf nurkic move better on defense he made some really just nice so plays in space and and stuck with ball handlers in that in their last win so uh, they they seem like a team that's really coming together and i'd probably vote them as the squad that's most likely to give the lakers a headache because i wouldn't pick either any of that these teams to beat the lakers the blazers final two games um Tuesday, they play Dallas, and then Thursday, they, they play Brooklyn. And so the Nets are already locked into playing the Raptors right now, but it doesn't matter if the Nets sit everybody because they, like, they're already playing their bench If players. they sat everyone, they wouldn't have any players left. Although Joe Harris and Karis LeVert have been balling. LeVert Just- has been fantastic. Moved up into the top 15 of the uh, the NBA math player power rankings as of today, actually. Uh, and that's, Joe, how, that's how hot he's been lately. Joe Harris's free agency is going to be fascinating. He's just absolutely incandescent when he's off the ball and then has a chance to you know just fire immediately. That's a game that you would give them a win, even if the net... I would imagine the oh, net... Oh, absolutely. That's, that's the one you give them. Dallas still has stuff to play for, depending on how their game against the Jazz shakes out. So, there are, again, there are all these moving parts up in the air, but the Blazers feel... A fate of complete. I'm not saying they're going to get the eight seed, but they will be one of the two teams in the play-in tournament. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, with Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. If you're like me, you can also actively avoid your favorite teams and favorite players if they happen to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. And visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. I have I have such mixed feelings about this Blazers team because I ultimately agree with everything that you said. I do not want to bet against Damian Lillard in a big game scenario. I'm really impressed with the way that Carmelo Anthony is playing on the offensive end. I'm even more impressed with the level that Yusuf Nurkic has regained and then elevated to since returning from that devastating leg injury. Gary Trent Jr. has been absolutely on fire throughout the bubble experience and really even a little bit in, in January and February. And I'm, I'm buying into that breakout. I think that the shooting stroke and the overall game are, are all legitimate there. But at the same time, like I, I think we're also slightly overhyping Portland based on the bubble results. Like, yeah, they've They've been hot. They've won four. They've won three of their five games since, or four of their six games since returning. But they needed overtime to beat Memphis. 
They barely beat the Rockets and the Nuggets and the 76ers while those squads weren't operating at full strength. Like They've definitely been a beneficiary of some good fortune just in terms of who they've gotten to play against and, and some of these results. I, I agree that they're going to be one of the teams in the play, and I probably think that they're going to win both games and enter as the eighth seed. But I'm just I'm not entirely sold on how much the hype train has taken off here. I think like, that, I, I think that we I think we just need to curtail some of that all around love that they're receiving and acknowledge that this isn't like some scorching team that no one wants to play in the first round of the playoffs. Like it's still like a pretty average team that is probably going to benefit from everything and get into the playoffs. Wouldn't you wouldn't put them though and say they're a leg up over the competition for the A spot right now. I think that's more so how the Yeah, I I think they have a leg up on the 8th spot, but like we're we're hearing like oh the Nuggets might have tanked. I, I believe it was against the Clippers to to get the or against the Blazers, sorry, to get Portland into that 8th seed thinking that they're going to give a tougher matchup to the Lakers. That's the part I'm not quite convinced about. I well, why? <laughs> because I don't know how you look at any of the other teams that could face the Lakers and think that any of them would take a game off of LA or more than a game. Well, I, I think, think Portland, them, I don't I think think Portland has that but... higher variance or ra- a better range of outcomes because you have Damian Lillard, you have CJ McCollum. So if you get into these tight matchups, you know that you have go-to players in crunch time. Where See, and that's, that's what I'm going to push back though. I, I think Phoenix is better suited. And I can't believe I'm saying that because that might I wouldn't be, have a month ago. That's like, that's a terrible take. You're, Devin I'm Booker's, willing to accept that, but like if we're talking about the flammability of Damian Lillard, like Devin Booker has that. I'm so impressed with how DeAndre Ayton is playing. I believe in the the defensive growth that we're seeing from him, both on the perimeter and on the interior. Like it seems to have really clicked for him. Mikel Bridges has been phenomenal. Ricky Rubio continues to impress. Cam Johnson is making everything. Like this is this is a surprisingly dangerous team. And even if I don't think any of these contenders would take even a game from the Lakers when the Lakers are motivated, I, I kind of think that, that Phoenix has the highest upside of any of them. That's difficult for me to wrap my head around when you're talking about most of these guys never being to the playoffs. Like Devin Booker being in the postseason for the first time, expecting him to play at at this level when he gets there would be difficult for me to so believe there. If you would argue defensively... In a season, I might buy that. In a normal season, I might buy that, but because we're already operating in this weird bubble environment and Phoenix keeps winning all of these must-win games, there isn't going to be like that hostile crowd that's that's wreaking havoc in players' minds. The, the refs are already whistling everything. Like I'm not sure what's going to change too much between what Phoenix is doing now in must-win games and what they're going to face in a postseason environment. That's a fair point. I still think you're probably underrating just the lack of experience there for many of their their best players. And you know, if you wanted to argue d- defensively, are they the team that's best suited to go up against the Lakers? I probably wouldn't provide much pushback there. Portland's been terrible on defense, particularly in the bubble. They're twentieth of twenty two teams in points allowed per possession. I will say that their opponents are shooting forty six percent on wide open threes, which is definitely not going to continue to happen so there's probably been some bad luck there for them i just i'd rather go with the you know more seasoned team and the one that's going to be led by the best player of of any of this group which would be damian lillard i would think that they you know no one's no one's going to beat the lakers in the first round the lakers offense has been a mess but it just feels like if you want to give them a headache i'd rather pit them against a damian lillard led team than, than a devin booker led team at this point. And that's just not a shot at Devin Booker, who's been, you know, not just phenomenal in the bubble, but people are like just catching on to his passing. And that's been a thing for like a really long time. I think uh, even eight years now. (laughs) Yeah. His, his Aiton has been better defensively this year for quite some time. So I think this is more people being exposed more to the Suns and why this is like some sort of an awakening. I just still don't, I wouldn't fully trust them um, to put up as much of a fight against the Lakers. Maybe if Kelly Oubre Jr. Comes back, perhaps that stance changes for me. A little bit, although I don't know necessarily what he does for them. I think he's probably his defensive reputation exceeds reality by a great deal. Even if he has a defensive reputation at, at this point, I feel like he's always just getting burned off the ball, and that's not just because there are memes to go to go with that. So I would rather see if we're just looking for the longest series or the most competitive series. I'd pretty firmly want the Blazers in. 
I, I totally get that. I, I 100% understand it. I, I came into this episode not really knowing what my prediction was going to be for how these four teams were going to play out. But I think I've, I think I've talked myself into Phoenix making the ninth seed with Portland at eight, even though that does require Phoenix beating Oklahoma City today, Philadelphia tomorrow, and Dallas on Thursday with some other things happening, like Memphis losing out. But that said, even though I think that Phoenix might be a marginally tougher matchup for the Lakers, albeit not one that's going to extend the series beyond a gentleman's sweep at best. I don't think that they're going to end up beating Portland in the play-in tournament just because that's going to require like what a 10 game winning streak because they would have to beat Portland twice. And I just, I don't see that part happening. I, I think they're going to expend so much energy just making it to the ninth seed that beating Portland twice in that play in seeding game is, is going to be impossible. The Phoenix is so tough for me. Imagine to get there, I guess, because I'm looking at their schedule and having to beat OKC. Okay. They're, they're probably doing that as we speak right now. I'm not looking at the television or the scores. Uh, Philly, doesn't have Embiid or Simmons for that game, I would imagine. It is a back-to-back, though. Yeah, probably not. Um, so that could still be tough, even if they don't have a Simmons and Embiid. And then d- will Dallas still have something to play for on the Thursday I game? I doubt it. I doubt it by the final game. I There's just so... The scenarios are just so wild right now. Um, and so I don't even... I don't want to write off Memphis completely either, just because I do think they're going to go one-and-one, which then puts them in the driver's seat to um, to be in that play-in. They still have to be if they if they retain the eight spot. They still have to be beaten twice, which I think a lot of people are are discounting. And I don't know. Would you trust? Let's say Memphis keeps the eight seed. Are you trusting any of these teams to actually beat uh, Memphis twice? Where you could just look at them and say, you know what, they're going to beat the Grizzlies twice. It's it's tricky just because we still don't really know what this Memphis team looks like without Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, and without without that knowledge, it's tough. We're also just now hearing that DeAndre Ayton missed his coronavirus test on Sunday, was retested Monday morning, and can rejoin the team when the results return, uh, per Shams Tarania of The Athletic and Stadium. So he is not going to be playing against Oklahoma City as we're recording this. Hopefully he's back and able to play against an Embiidless Sixers on Tuesday, but that would obviously alter things dramatically if he has to miss both those games yeah i was reading that too that's going that's a major letdown the the game against the thunder given how many people they're sitting you think they should still be okay but chris paul's playing though so you never know he might just decide like you know what i don't want phoenix in there just yet sorry right and put them it's away. very possible uh for memphis though jaron jackson jr was just so important to pro- providing floor balance to many of their lineups when you know they, they traded Jay Crowder, obviously, and then you never got Justice Winslow to play because uh, he was injured again. And, and they've, been, glass. they've been so desperate for shooting that Grayson Allen has played a ton of minutes and played well. That's you know, you have to close games with Grayson Allen now though. And so you remove Jaron Jackson Jr. from that equation, the lineup combinations just become so difficult to build. Like what is their actually best fitting lineup right now. John Morant is in it, and you know Grayson Allen is in it. Do you play Clark and Valanciunas together for a ton of minutes? That can be a little tough. They both shoot threes, but not in high volume. They're not shooting them well in the bubble. Dylan Brooks seems like a must-include, but he might be the worst clutch player in basketball this year, and that's actually an extension that I think is going to end up aging a little bit poorly. I was I was so surprised people were high on it when it was signed. I wasn't I wasn't totally low on it because he was having himself a few moments at that point, but he's always just felt so streaky that to invest um, another you know, four years in him, I think it was a four-year extension, it might have been three years, I'll have to look that up, it just seemed a little it's bit... It's generally not a good thing when you need three cold games to get the one hot game. That's like the Dylan Brooks experience. When he goes off, he's going off, but you got to live with a lot between the detonations and it was it was three three and 35 which just felt like a like i don't know what number would have made me feel okay like three and 24 or something i don't it it, to pay him above league average salary i thought that was a little bit of a stretch maybe i just didn't watch enough of him at the beginning of the regular season but he has killed them in spots in crunch time and what you really need him for now in theory would be his floor spacing and he shot 35.8 percent from deep you know for the year overall i think he's at like negative eight percent in the bubble or around there he's actually at 26.2 percent so that was a little mean and so i just don't know kyle anderson he's taking more threes um but the idea that he was going to make them at like this ridiculous clip as he sort of 
hinted at towards the beginning of play in the in what do you call it the pre bubble season whatever whatever you want to say it's just not there he's 25 percent um since the games have started to matter and so Anthony Melton has never been a shooter he doesn't take a ton of threes he's under 12 percent it's so hard for them to build these really good lineups and it's not like they're it doesn't seem like they're inclined to, to lean on Josh Jackson at this point you can throw Anthony Tolliver in the front court to give yourself some functional shooting he's just not going to give you much on defense now and pairing him with another big could really just end up being a disaster. So I I look at this roster and think, how are they supposed to play? And they don't really make sense on paper when you look at the best lineups that they could field or even the lineups that they actually field. And yet I'm also just still not ready to write them off. There's like a, the final thing I'll say for them, there's like this Pacers West vibe to me. They're clearly not as good, but they're never at full strength. It feels like their lineups don't make sense in part because they're unable to make sense at this point. You always wish that they had, um, Indy has more guys who can shoot. This is a team that you wish had more guys who could shoot. So there's that element there, but they're always just in these games for a better than anticipated amount of time. Uh, even their loss to, uh, who did they play on Sunday? Was that Toronto that they lost to? They were just in that game for, for way longer than, than they should have been. And before Toronto began pulling away. So, I respect what the Grizzlies have done too much this season to really write them off. And what I would also say is if they keep the eight spot, I'm not entirely sure which team I would guarantee beats them twice in the play. And if, if, if it was Portland, I think I would pick Portland, but I would just be like unconfident about it because of how bad Portland's defense has been in the bubble and, you know, on the season overall. In general, it's, it's just really difficult to beat the same team multiple times in a row. I mean, uh, right. unless you're talking about a playoff series where you're gearing up and you're making all these strategic adjustments and, you know, just going <laughs> over everything. And I, I super laughing because we both just got the, the newest Shams Charania push notification, right? The, the breaking news update for the previous breaking news <laughs> update. Per Charania, Aiton has been cleared and is en route now to join the Suns for the Thunder game. I'm not like... I understand things need to be reported, but this was literally just like course was reversed in the span of how many minutes are we talking about? Like sub 10? Again, five minutes. No it was five minutes. Aiton went from, you know, is he going to play? And then five minutes later, oh, he's, he's going to play. So like in the current, in the game that is currently happening, <laughs> this is just only in 2020, apparently. Very much so. But so what, what were you saying? I, I think we covered. I don't know at this point. Just that it's it's tough to beat the same team twice in a row, especially like on the neutral court with so many adjustments expected to be made. Like it's, I feel like whoever ends up in the eighth seed just has this massive advantage, regardless of which combination of two teams. It is. Hardwood Knox listeners, have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, Everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code NOX. Or go to DealDash.fm slash NOX. That's DealDash.fm slash NOX. D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash NOX. But I was going to ask you... Um... One, who do you want to get eight and nine? And two, who do you think is going to get eight and nine? I, think, I feel like we've covered all four teams at this point, and, and it's it's prediction time. The I want, I would love to see a playing tournament between the Spurs and the Blazers. I don't really care how it's set up at that point. I'd rather have the Blazers in eight in that scenario just because I still think they're going to be the better matchup for the Lakers. But I think it's going to end up being Memphis and Portland. And I'm not entirely sure on the order. Um, just I, I know you look at their games and write them both off as losses. I'm just I'm not inclined to go that way. If they do lose on Tuesday, though, that's where then this gets interesting. If Phoenix has won by that point, because then, yeah, I think you could probably assume they'll lose against Milwaukee uh, unless Milwaukee forfeits or something because the, the, the Bucks are, are so deep. Uh, so 
I'm going with Memphis and Portland, and if you're asking me who I think is going to win in that scenario, I think Portland ends up being the team in the playoffs. I don't know how they get there. Maybe they have to win the play-in tournament, or maybe they actually get to eight, um, and they only have to win the one game. So regardless, they'll be in the play-in tournament. Bad phrasing there. It's just, it's so tough because there are so many different scenarios in the air, and we have, there seems to be more variance in how opponents are going to approach the games against these teams than there would be towards the end of a typical regular season. And part of that is because you don't have the normal bad teams. And so, you know, we're not looking at it, oh, it's the Knicks. It doesn't matter if they're resting anyone. That would be a win anyway. It's, oh, the Grizzlies are playing the Celtics. Are the Celtics actually going to rest anybody? Uh, And so those questions get difficult to answer. But right now, if I was forced to choose, I would pick the Blazers. I would love to see Memphis and Portland play in that play-in series just because I, I just absolutely adore John Morant's game. I want to see it as much as possible, and I would just absolutely love getting to see him on that stage going head-to-head with Damian Lillard and just seeing what he can do in that moment. What I think is going to happen, I'm, I'm going to stick with my, my Portland at 8 and Phoenix at 9 prediction and Portland winning the second of those two games. I, I think the other thing I didn't say about Phoenix earlier that I I do think is a salient point is that of these four teams, they're the only one that's benefiting from pre-hiatus continuity. You know, Memphis is trying to figure out how it's going to operate without Jaron Jackson Jr. Portland is trying to figure out how it's going to operate with Yusuf Nurkic, with this more effective version of Carmelo Anthony, trying to give Gary Trent Jr. more touches. San Antonio is trying to figure out how they're going to work without LaMarcus Aldridge in the picture and potentially now without Derek White in the picture. And Phoenix does have generally the same rotation. And I think that's a big advantage here. Yeah. I, th- I feel like the Portland stuff isn't really too big of a deal just because they've had Nurkic for so long before and the role they have Melo playing, it doesn't really feel like it's hard to, to integrate. The Spurs one is definitely tough because depending on what's happening with Derek White, especially like their rotations are just wild right now. And then Jakob Pertl hasn't helped things because he's been in foul trouble in three of the, I think they've played five games now if they played six, but he's been in trouble for like more than half the games that they've played, which has caused them to go to probably lineups that they wouldn't have gone to in general. So they've played six and I'm pretty sure he's been in foul trouble for seven of those six games. That's my estimation. To be fair, it does feel like almost every player has been in foul trouble because the refs are calling everything. That's fair too. The, I'm in, I'm actually curious as to why you actually want to see the Grizzlies play the Blazers because I, I the experience loses something. I love John Morant. The Grizzlies are good. And I think if you look on paper and you say the three best players on their team are Brandon Clark, Jonas Valanciunas, and John Morant, that's like that's not egregiously bad. That's actually that's solid. That's fine. But it's very way, solid. The way that roster kind of collates together right now, I just don't know that that would make for the most entertaining matchup. And so I'd rather see I'd probably rather see Memphis this. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm shitting on Memphis right now. I don't want to. It's just because they're so – losing Jaron Jackson Jr. is such a blow to to the the way that they play that I'm, I'm so much lower on them. And so I'd rather see any other combination of teams in the play-in tournament than them right now. And this is coming from someone who – John Moran is probably one of my you know five to ten favorite players to watch in the league right now. I think I'm just valuing the Morant experience a little bit more than you are. It might not be the most entertaining series, but that wasn't really the question, just because it's who I want to see. And and that's Morant, it's Brandon Clark. And I've long felt that, that Jonas Valanciunas is one of the more underrated players in the league. And I would love to see him get some, some shine on a truly national stage, if that's where the focus of the entire basketball world is, is on the 8-9 seed in the West. He's going to be a central figure. He's going to get some credit and he deserves that credit. So it's it's more of those more personal reasons than what might be the, the purely most entertaining series of these possibilities. You want to spend a couple minutes on the two teams that are definitely not going to be in the playoffs? The Hawks and the Knicks? <sighs> no, I'm done talking about the Knicks for, forever and <laughs> ever. The Kings and the Pelicans. The, the Kings, De'Aaron Fox said this after the game. Uh, someone asked him, if he felt the team had a clearly defined identity this season. And he said that when playing a team like the Rockets, you have to know what you're going to do. He doesn't think the team knew that in their loss to the Rockets. He said that happened a lot throughout the season. And this is from Richard Avanowski. He writes for the Sacramento Bee. And so that's what De'Aaron Fox said. That is just, that's troubling. That's, that's 
mind-meltingly troubling. And you look at how long it took the Kings to kind of lean into their you know speedball this season too, where they were just slowing things down the half court entirely too often. And I feel like it happened in a couple games during the bubble as well. They've got some like real issues, and that that's something you could always say about the Kings. But one of the things that's going to be super complicated about this roster is you have De'Aaron Fox who's extension eligible now and he's going to get the max whether they give it to him as an extension or in restricted free agency it doesn't matter in in 21-22 he's going to be on a max deal you have Bogdan Bogdanovich is a restricted free agent this year you've already paid Harrison Barnes you've already paid Buddy Heald and so all of a sudden fast forward next season they'll be fine you pay Bogey whatever like what you'll be fine the season after that like you're looking at a team that could be in tax territory for a core of Harrison Barnes, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Buddy Heald, and De'Aaron Fox. And then Richon Holmes is also going to be a free agent at that point. Let's not forget that Marvin Bagley will be on the roster for $11.3 million team option. That's not nothing. Um, Bialito will be a free agent that summer as well. They're in like this really awkward, fragile territory, and it feels like they need... It feels like they always need this, but it feels like there needs to be a significant overhaul in Sacramento. Yeah, it feels like they might need to restart, which is uh, not ideal for a franchise that has not made the playoffs since 2006, nor has it posted a winning season since 2006. It came close last year with a 39-43 and 43 record, which actually has a, a better winning percentage than they have this year because they just totally floundered at the end of the year. I agree with you. I, I, I don't know what the path forward is to, to have a legitimately high ceiling with this team. Darren Fox is incredible. He's going to elevate everyone. He is moving towards superstar territory. He's going to be in the all-star and all-NBA conversation moving forward. But what other pieces do you really have a lot of confidence in here? Like, it would be great if Marvin Bagley could stay healthy and show more than just like flashes of what made him the top pick and one of the top picks in the draft when he was coming out of Duke. But I have no confidence in that happening. We haven't seen anyone really step up and take control of that number two on the roster status. Buddy Heald had to be moved to the bench. Bogdan Bogdanovich is is definitely inconsistent. You know, he he had the the thirty five point explosion on the heels of a game where he shot like three for seventy two. Um, I just I I don't know that I see a path forward to even making the playoffs with this current roster, especially given how deep the West is every single year and how many up and coming teams we have that are going to keep challenging for these postseason spots. And if you aren't able to either move back and add another potential superstar through the draft, what, what is the path forward? Right. And that's it. How do you get to become a surefire playoff team? And that's a really difficult question to answer as you alluded to in the West. And, you know, I don't look the buddy healed stuff. He played well off the bench for them this year, for the most part, not so much in the but bubble. He's going to be content, right? That's the something you have to worry about. And also, he becomes a different type of asset when he's when his extension kicks in. Uh, four years, ninety four million, I believe is what he signed for. And so that's something you have to grapple with. They do have the hardest part in place, where you have De'Aaron Fox. I think he can be the best player on a contender, and so that's the hardest player of a rebuild to find. But how do you build around him? I think they read too much into last year is what we're ultimately seeing um, by reinvesting in Harrison Barnes, by paying Corey Joseph. Uh, we forget that Trevor Ariza was on this team to start the season. I, I've said this many times, but shout out to Trevor Ariza for just going to get the bag and then deciding that I'll figure out how to get to a better team at midseason because that's just how he operates now. And I'm, I'm, I'm so in favor of it. Um, their, their path would be, though, is that maybe they can talk themselves into standing relatively pat, re-sign Bogdanovich, just just move. Uh, you know, maybe you're able to keep Harry Giles. I don't know what he would command on the the market. They already declined his team options. So that's going to limit what they can offer him. But if you have a healthier Rashawn Holmes, if you have a healthier Marvin Bagley, maybe you can implant yourself into that playoff discussion. But even then, let's assume this roster is fully healthy going into next year. They still feel like they're one significant piece short. And I don't know, you know, would it change? your view of them if they went out and they were able to, to get a trade for, for Aaron Gordon over the offseason so that they just have more um, defensive optionality and then just this another higher swing piece. But in that scenario, I don't know that you want to necessarily give up Buddy Heald for Aaron Gordon. Uh, I think Buddy Heald in a vacuum is probably the, the better player. I don't know. Aaron Gordon's really come along as as a passer and what he can do on defense certainly matters. Also, Magic, the Magic's asking price on him may have just went up because they might not have Jonathan Isaac at all for, for next season. So there's so many questions for the Kings, but I'm with you. I don't think 
you know, if you, I, I don't think you can look at them and say they're even one of the 10 or 11 best teams in the West next year. Because my question to you would be, if you look at the West right now, which team as currently constructed is going to say, you know what, we're not making the postseason this year? I don't know that there is one. You need something to happen over the offseason for a team to identify itself as one. I think a lot so, of I mean, people... Let, are- let's, go, let's go through those real fast, right? Like, we have the two LA teams that obviously aren't going anywhere because they have the superstar pairings, unless Anthony Davis shocks the world by going somewhere else. We have Denver, which is always going to be competitive with Jokic there, and they're still building something special there. Houston still has James Harden and Russell Westbrook. The Thunder still have Shea Gilgis alexander and Chris Paul is probably going to stay there because they're now convinced that they can be competitive. The Jazz could maybe break something up if they just absolutely flame out in the first round, but then you still have the up-and-coming Mavericks and the Grizzlies and the Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic Blazers and the Suns and the Pelicans and the Timberwolves with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Let's not forget about the Golden State Warriors who are going to have Stephen Clay back next year. Like, you need to the Kings be the Kings could be the worst team in the Western Conference next year. Right. This would need to be a scenario. I think there's a chance the Grizzlies could drop off significantly. A lot hinges on how the Justice Winslow fit ends up panning out for them. But you're banking on if you want to say there are going to be guaranteed teams below the Kings next year, you're basically saying, well, the Thunder are going to trade everybody, or the Spurs are going to go that route as well, and that might be a tougher route for the Spurs to go now that they've played so well in Disney, where it's like, oh, the, the, some of these youngsters just might be ready to compete right now. Keldon Johnson is good and apparently doesn't miss and, and can really move on defense and hold up against some fours. And Lonnie Walker looks pretty good on, on offense as well. That's, that's Greg pr- Popovich could start you and I, and they would be in playoff contention. Apparently. That's apparently the, the takeaway there. So the Kings, as ever, are on, are on delicate ground. The Pelicans are different. They're so well built for the future. I'm willing, you know, can we plead that Zion Williamson didn't even play in 30 games this year? And that, you know, if you look at his season, it was like a tale of four or five seasons because he has the preseason, gets injured, comes back. Then there's the long hiatus, then goes into the Disney training camp, has to leave. I believe it was for family reasons. Then coming back, trying to ramp into shape. And then he's like a little bit better on offense, you know, closing, or I guess I'm talking specifically about their game against the Spurs in which they lost on Sunday. That's tough. I mean, the rookie learning curve is steep to begin with. And he does seem like a player who's really going to work. Just, he strikes me just based off how he talks and carries himself as a very mature uh, young adult. And yes, you're going to have to pay Brandon Ingram max money. You definitely still keep him. The, the, The real questions to me would be, no, you don't. They shouldn't be talking about trading Drew Holiday because I think that this is a team that can actually compete immediately. I also don't think JJ Redick looks out of place, as some people were kind of pointing out on Twitter um, after they lost to the Spurs. I think the questions are what can you do at the center position? Because Jackson Hayes isn't ready. I don't know if he's ever going to be a good fit along Zion. Derek Favors was okay this year. He was really injured and so definitely did not provide the value that they were expecting. Can you acquire a center who's a better fit? particularly on offense next to Zion? Do you bring back Derek Favors because he was important to the way you were defending at your peak? And then the other question you have to answer is, what are you going to do with Lonzo Ball, who you know that I enjoy more than most? I had him ranked um, as a top 60-ish player at the end of the first regular season before uh, Disney started. But there seem to be too many players who need the ball in their hands on this team. And if you want, I think you keep Drew, you keep Ingram. And so that leaves him a little bit out of place. You don't want to have him on the ball too much because you want them to get their touches, but having him off the ball, even when he's not hesitant to shoot threes, uh, he's shown that he can kind of disappear or he'll go through those really freezing cold streaks. And so you should probably test the trade market on him would be my next step. If we're talking about the most nuclear move, the Pelicans should explore. I think it's seeing what they could get for Lonzo Ball, particularly because he's also extension eligible and going to be a restricted free agent in 2021 himself. Look, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Have you watched the Pelicans in the bubble? They can't play defense. They can't close games. Zion is out of shape and doesn't play defense. They need to break it up and start over. Just let let Brandon Ingram walk, trade everyone, maybe even trade Zion because he can't stay on the court for more than twenty minutes per game. But there, I know you're being like, hyperbolic. No, this like- is this is yeah, this is all a joke. Like I would run it back entirely. This team, when all the pieces work, has been fantastic. Zion Williamson, when he's played 
has been incredible and makes everything work. Ingram clearly works next to him. Lonzo Ball, there's a marked difference in how he plays when he can throw lobs to Zion versus when he's on the court without him. When they have all of their main pieces on the floor, they've had one of the best five-man units in the NBA this season, admittedly in a relatively small sample size. But we also have reason to believe that these pieces are so young that they're just going to continue getting better. What happens when Zion can play 30 minutes a game for a full season next year? I don't, I don't see any reason to believe that that can't happen, given his work ethic and how effective he's been when he has had longer stints. I just, I, I don't know that they need to make any changes. I don't think they need to make any changes, but if you were looking because you feel like you're on an expedited timeline and you need to do something, I don't think there's, the reactions to me were just, it was doom and gloom for a team that I think is set up. If you go five to seven years into the future, I don't know which team you're necessarily putting in front of them. If, if you want it to be Boston, if you're going to tell me that right. Giannis resigns in Milwaukee, fine. They're in the top five of that long-term future discussion. Like just end of story. And I feel there. like this, this conversation also has to mention where their priorities were. They made it very clear. They did not attempt to hide it at all, that they were more concerned about their future than pushing for a playoff spot this season because what would that have done? Okay, you get some playoff experience for the youngsters, but you get swept by the the Lakers in the first round. Is that really worth risking Zion's health? Is it worth risking any other pieces? Like It, it wasn't to them, and they acted accordingly, and they've been getting trashed for doing so because they did give up some winnable games by keeping Zion on the bench towards the end of towards the end of the contest and maybe not necessarily playing their most potent lineup combinations at every twist and turn but they they never offered any any reason to believe that their goal was to make the playoffs and we assume that every team should be trying to be as competitive as possible and once you get to the postseason anything can happen but they were just being realistic I think it's it's colored this conversation in a strange way. Right, and th- that's the other thing, too, is th- I don't look, the, the lethargy on getting back in defense for such long stretches, like, that's that's definitely annoying because these games had stakes. And so regardless of what the team's right. intent was, the players sh- should want to win. And I'm not going to question anyone's desire to win, but they just there were times where the Pelicans just didn't appear interested, and they were comatose on defense. Honestly, I think, it's, I, I think it's fair to question that. Like when it's made explicit by the front office, it is harder to compete in these scenarios. And you know, it's a young team. Like it's, it was tough for them to to find the necessary motivation here, and and they should be held accountable for that. But it, it isn't an it isn't necessarily a condemnation of the future of the incumbents. And the other issue, as you touched upon, was the, the lineups were just weird. Like there are too many minutes in the bubble specifically where, like, why do you have like Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram on the bench at the same time? Uh, you know, Brandon Ingram. The, the shots he can create for his teammates when he gets going downhill, if you're worried about the fit between he and Zion, like give him a lot of Ingram plus bench minutes if those are the units you're going to run out. Like the fact they were so reliant on Frank Jackson was just so bizarre to me. They, they seem to go to Nicolo Melli like way too early for my taste as well. And my guess would be I'm not going to pin the bubble or this season on Alvin Gentry because my, my gut feeling is if Zion is healthy the entire year, the Pelicans are a playoff team. That's my gut feeling. But I almost find it hard to believe that Alvin Gentry is going to be there next season. It just feels like a poorly kept secret at this point that he's not going to be the coach of this team. There is a new front office regime in place dating back to last summer. They typically do like to install their own guy. This felt like a unique situation because Gentry did so well with the Davis uh, departure, like handling that. And then it did seem like he and David Griffin were on the, the same page in the, in the same but just on more on the same page than an incumbent coach and a new executive would be. But now I'm at the point where I'd almost be shocked if that he'd still be in New Orleans next year. And the rumor is that the two favorites for the job are Tyron Lue and Jason Kidd. One of those is a good option, and it is not Jason Kidd. I, w- I would love to see what, what Lue could do with a team that had a more traditional coaching role than the Cleveland Cavaliers had when LeBron James was on that team because as great as LeBron is, he is definitely a uh, a forceful personality who gets to make a lot of decisions that not a lot of players get to make. And I, I would I would genuinely like to see what Lou can do with a cohesive team filled with up-and-coming players. I have no interest in seeing Jason Kidd wreck Zion Williamson's career. <laughs> wreck seems like a strong word, but keep Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson all the way away from this team. I 
I don't know that they look at this because maybe he feels too developmental, but Kenny Atkinson feels like he might be uh, an, an interesting fit for this roster. But let's not talk Absolutely. about Avin- let's not talk about replacing Alvin Gentry before he's actually fired. Fo- uh, fired, excuse me. My one quick note before I ask you about the Sixers: um, we just another breaking news nugget. Uh, Terrence Ross has had to leave the Disney bubble um, due to a personal non-COVID medical matter, according to Woj. He'll go. He'll undergo offsite tests as advised by league physicians. He is not going to play in their game against Brooklyn on Tuesday, and his availability moving forward will depend on the test results and NBA quarantine protocols. Now, I want to ask you about the Sixers, who are, they're entirely too fascinating at this point. Like, they're uncomfortably fascinating because of why they're fascinating. Ben Simmons, I, they haven't ruled him out for the season, but I would be shocked if he played again this year. He's dealing with a what amounts to a dislocated left knee. And he's having surgery on it. So I wouldn't expect to see him for the rest of the year. Maybe if they're in the finals or something, but I don't expect to see them in the finals. Embiid, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, Embiid left their game on Sunday with, I think it was a left ankle injury. I'm not even sure which ankle it was. But he left with an ankle injury, and we're still waiting on an update. We actually didn't lead with this at the top of the podcast in hopes that there might be a breaking news nugget about what his availability would be. This is just something that's like, you know, he missed time in the playoffs last year. He was His minutes were stringently managed, particularly in that first round series against the Nets, because he was laboring through injuries. What do you make of this team right now, Adam? I have no idea. Um, I would love to see what this team could do with a healthy Embiid leading the charge. He was so good early in the bubble before this injury. I'd love to see how far he could take them, if he could potentially keep them alive long enough that Simmons could return. But I I highly doubt that that's going to be the case. And just a a shame on you to the Philadelphia front office for continuing to run with this experiment. And I'm not talking about putting Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together. I'm talking about not putting the right players around them. This duo has been phenomenal when they've both been on the court. It can absolutely work, despite both having shooting limitations, despite Simmons not thriving off the ball. But you have to actually put shooters around them. And the the Sixers, for whatever reason, have staunchly refused to do that. And I feel like we've just had another year squandered of, of this duo that could potentially be such a devastating combination against any opponent because the front office can't find the right pieces to put around them. Like we always hear like, Oh, we need to break them up. Which one of them are they going to trade? Like maybe we should do the easier fix, which is to put the actual proper complementary pieces around them. Right. And the closest they came to doing that was 2017, 2018 when you had Redick, Roko and Dario Saric. I wouldn't say that those were the perfect compliments, but the idea you need Look, you need more than someone who can hit standstill threes. You need functional shooting to me, someone who can move. It doesn't necessarily have to be J.J. Redick, but you need functional shooting and ball handling. And they have gone in the complete opposite direction. And this idea that it can't work is bizarre to me. Maybe they're not the cleanest fit, but in 2017-2018, Philly was a plus 16.2 points per 100 possessions with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on the court. Last year, plus 9.5 points per 100 possessions when they shared the floor. This year plus 1.8, and a lot of that has to do with the roster construction. And the money that they've committed to Al Horford is equity burned that they couldn't use on others. And even just making smaller moves on the margins, it's clear that, if given the choice, would you rather have had J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris and Al Horford? It shouldn't even be a question. There were obviously extenuating circumstances um, with Jimmy Butler's departure. It seems like he really did want to be in Miami. And I don't even think Tobias Harris is necessarily part of the problem. He is a good fit for this roster, but because he's not someone who's going to put a ton of pressure on the rim, that's why Jimmy Butler was the better fit, even though he's probably a floor spacing downgrade there. And this team without Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, it would be, it would be absolutely cooked. I I don't know if you would, the luxury of having a Tobias Harris and and Al Horford and then Josh Richardson, who went off, absolutely off over the weekend is, oh, hey, maybe you can you know, kind of steal some games, you gut out a first round series, have like that Pacers feel to the way that you're playing. It's certainly possible, but they, I don't like, I don't know what I would expect from them, honestly, if Embiid and Simmons both aren't available leading in to the playoffs. The good news is, is that if Embiid is available, when Horford and Embiid have played without Simmons, the offense has absolutely hummed. Uh, the I think they have an offensive rating of near 120 
the defense has not been great, but the sample size is so small that I think you can argue you don't have to read too much into the good or the bad there. Their they're O rating with Horford and Embiid now, since they've played some minutes and Simmons went down, is 115 when they're playing without Ben, but their defensive rating is also 115. So there's just, there's so many questions. I I was always never going to be surprised if this team lost in the first round, but now I'm almost wondering, do we need to expect them to lose in the first round? Because it feels like we're going to end up seeing Philly-Boston in round one. Which is not good news for them. No, I think people wanted to see the Sixers face the Celtics, but that was if you had both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Exactly. Um, I do want to just expand on one thing that you said, even though I don't have that much to add. And it's just a point of clarification on those two man net ratings, because I've seen those cited as evidence for why it, it, it isn't working anymore, because those numbers have gone down each of the last two seasons. And it was barely a positive when they were both on the court this season, but it's so important and so overlooked that a two man net rating still involves three other players. And as much as we would like to believe that it is solely about those two, like if you do have core fitting pieces around them and you can't make those lineups work, those numbers are going to get dragged down. So if you're citing that as evidence that this partnership doesn't work and needs to be broken up, like there are other confounding factors that are very important here. And I just, I, I think it, that should go without saying, but it, it needs to be said. Well, the process of them searching over the past two years is what's kind of hurt Ben and Joel more than anything, because let's go to that. So 2017, 2018, when they had the plus 16.2 net rating, the most used lineup with those two played almost 1300 possessions Uh, last season when they were plus 9.5 together, the most used lineup with those two, it was cut to 628 this year. The most used lineup featuring these two is 518 possessions. And so that continuity has been downgraded, which is why I think you would expect the numbers to go down because it's also in tandem with the personnel around them making substantially less sense is how I would put it. Yeah. I mean, I just can't help but imagine this partnership with like someone like buddy healed around them. Like the, it, it would just be such a tremendous then, fit to have that off all, that actual off ball weapon who is so comfortable moving around the court, like a, a, a prime JJ Redick. Right. And look, that's why people, I don't know what, if you could get in play for a, you know, maybe you should try and trade from JJ Redick if New Orleans does decide to blow it up. But I don't know if you could get in play for Buddy Heald because who wants Al Horford's contract, even Tobias Harris. I know he's on the younger side, but that's such a steep commitment. This team isn't broken. Like think about if they could just add even one like plus ball handler shooter, you know, someone who's a little bit better than Alec Burks. The team just, they're, the ceiling on them just goes exponentially higher to me. And so that's why I think it's foolish to believe they need to choose between Simmons and Embiid. I'm not saying it won't happen one day, but it needs to be a last resort. And right now, I don't think we've seen them next to the optimal amount of talent yet. And I also don't think the Sixers are out of cards to play. Even if they can't swing another blockbuster, you know, you have let's Mike Scott as small salary salary filler. You have Zaire Smith still there. If you really wanted to go all in, you have future first. You have Matisse Thibel. There are moves that you can make on the margins that I think can make you substantially better just because it'll help your roster make more sense. And that's what the Sixers are lacking in, not talent, but functional sense. Absolutely. And I I also just want to give a a, a quick shout out to Tobias Harris. He got so much criticism at the beginning of the season when his shot wasn't falling right off that massive contract that he signed. But during the bubble, he's averaged 22.4 points, 8.4 rebounds, 2.6 assists, shooting 43.3% from the field and 40.7% on threes. He's been fantastic. He's been everything that they wanted him to be just a little too late. I mean, he's also, he's been good ever since that, you know, what was it, the first 20 games of the season? He's actually had a pretty good year after that. So again, he hasn't been the problem. It's because he's not Jimmy Butler is basically like what the problem is. (laughs) But I think that does it for us here. This episode is going to end up being over an hour. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you so much. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. Please, subscriptions and downloads help us the most. We appreciate shout-outs on Twitter, retweet our promos, tell friends, family members, acquaintances, random people on social media about us. That helps us, too. If you are using Apple Podcasts, or even if you're not, please, 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 pretty please, just rate and review us. Leave a comment. Give us a five-star rating. If you have constructive criticism, throw it our way. We will take it into account under advisement. Implement it as needed. 
Once again, thank you all for listening. Until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to Keldon Johnson, just because he's been shooting so well. Sports are back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.